So today, I want to discuss a little bit about the topic of loving every Jew. What it means to love every Jew. So we know that there's a mitzvah, the Rambam gives us the mitzvah, and when he lists all of the 613 commandments of the Torah, one of them is that the mitzvah to love every Jew as we love ourselves. And this mitzvah is a klal gadol batorah. What's a klal gadol batorah? This is a very fundamental principle in the Torah, a great principle of the Torah. And it is so crucial that it's a foundation upon which the whole Torah stands. Okay? So if someone asks you in a brief sentence, what would you say foundation of the whole Torah? You can clearly tell them it is the foundation of loving every Jew as yourself. Okay, it's a pillar. And that's a verse in the Torah, which we know, you should love your fellow as yourself. Okay, so the first question is, what is love? What is ahava? What is love? And the second is, what is like yourself? Okay, so I understand to love, but to love like myself, that's a whole lot of love. Okay, so I want to start with the very beginning of creation. We know that when God created the world, he created the world day one, day two, day three, all the way to day six. After day six, mankind was created, and then God rested on the seventh day. Okay, so now what happens? Day number one, God creates, right, the heaven and the earth. And God looks at his creation, and he says, And behold, God saw that what he created was good. Well, it is, it is the heaven and the earth, right? It is the heaven and the earth. And then it says, um, right, light and dark was part of that. There were many things that were created in each day. But, right, it says, the heaven and the earth, right? And, right? and then it says, then there was light, light and there was dark. Okay, so they're, they're both correct. On the second day of creation, though, it doesn't say that, it doesn't say anything about that it was good. On the third day, it says Vayar Kitov twice, okay, which is Tuesday. Tuesday, it says it twice. So the obvious question is, what happened on the second day that God said that there shouldn't be Kitov, that it wasn't Kitov, that it wasn't good? Our sages tell us a very important fundamental principle. On the second day, the second day is the number two. On day number one is one. One is wholesome. It's closeness between one another. We're all one. Once we create two, you know what you create with two? Division. Division is no good. No good. So that's why God does not put ketov on day number two. Rather, on day number three, God adds the extra ketov. God doesn't like when there's two. So here's the obvious question. Well, does that mean that every marriage is doomed from the get-go? Right, because marriage means two. So why does God obligate us to get married? Right, if God doesn't like the concept of two, say our sages a very important fundamental principle about marriage. Marriage should not remain two, but rather you become one. If marriage stays two as you're two independent people, and now each one does his own thing, that's not bayarkito. But rather, you have to make those two into a one. And then it becomes a much greater uh, existence. 
That is the idea. When we're talking about love, the idea is that we become like, that, that that other person becomes like ourselves, that we can feel that other person's pain like we feel our own. Okay. Now, the Rambam also says that, he says that it doesn't mean mamash kegufo. It says that a person should love his wife like himself and honor his wife more than himself. Right? What, what does that mean? Love your wife like yourself, but honor your wife greater than yourself. Right? Honor is something we can do externally. Love is very, very deep. To love someone like you love yourself is virtually impossible. That's why it says, it doesn't say, it says, you should love your fellow like yourself. Right? As yourself, we can't. It's very difficult to love someone like, like as yourself. Like yourself, you can do. Okay? That you can do. That's still attainable. So what does that mean? That means in a way that what I want for myself, I should want for my fellow, for my friend. I want a nice suit. I want my friend to have a nice suit. I want a nice car. I want my friend to have a nice car. I, I, want, I, I want a good job. I want my friend to have a good job. To think of our friends like the way we think of ourselves. Kamocha. Like you like for yourself, you should want for your fellow. Okay, so there's no question that your life comes first. So it's not exactly like yourself because you want to take care of yourself first. And we all know the fundamental principle is that you have to worry about your own family. And then you can worry about someone. If you can't always be worried about everybody else and not take care of your own family, your, your family will starve and they probably won't ever talk to you again, right? So you have to have an element of responsibility for yourself and then for others. You see someone want something, you should desire it equally for them. Okay? So someone's running for a bus, right? So a stranger running for the bus and you're sitting on the bus, right? So you'd say, okay, sorry, you should have been at the bus stop earlier. But what's if it was your own child? If it was your own child, you'd say, hey, hey, stop the bus. <laughs> this is my son, right? I remember when I was in Israel, I was once running for a bus and, you know, sometimes you run for that bus and you're like, there's not a chance he's going to stop for me. Not a chance. And especially the bus drivers in Israel, these Israelis, you know, they're, they're not exactly stopping for uh, your ordinary yeshiva boy, you know, when he's late for the bus stop. So I remember miraculously the bus stop. You know, I get on the bus and I thank the bus driver and the bus driver says to me, it's not me. He says, it's that man back there. He says, he wouldn't let me go till I open the door for you. I look back there and it was my rabbi. And my rabbi says, he says, he says, a rabbi is supposed to treat his student like a son, right? And the student is supposed to respect his rabbi greater than his father, right? And the, the Mishnah goes in to explain that. Why does a child have to respect his rabbi greater than his father? Meaning, I'll tell you in what regard. If the father and the rabbi are both stuck in prison and he only has one, money to redeem one of them. Who should, he re, who should he redeem from prison first, his father or his rabbi? So the, the Mishnah says the rabbi. Why? Because the father brings him into this world, but the rabbi brings him into the world to come. So therefore, you should invest in the rabbi. Now, obviously, that's not always, we have to understand what that means, and let's not judge it on, on, on face value. We have to understand really what that means. It's certainly not what the rabbis, uh, what many of the rabbis are today, at least, uh, in which they, we don't see that the rabbis are um, necessarily bringing anybody to the world to come. But uh, perhaps, 
But if a rabbi is, then, then he takes a precedence over the father if the father does not teach him Torah. Okay. So my rabbi says, he says, you're kidding? He says, of course I told the bus driver. I said, he better stop. I said, that's my son. Right? So when I, I got out to the bus and my rabbi is, you know, very excited that I, that I made the bus because he, he saw me running and he told the bus driver he can't, he can't continue going. So that's, that's a very important principle that we need to understand that if we just imagine that this person is our relative, then we would care very much about them. But because we consider them as a total stranger, so maybe we don't have that same passion and that same love for them. So our sages tell us, if you consider them kamocha, if you consider them as part of your flesh and your blood, like they're part of you, then you'll have a special love for them, just like you do for your own child, for your own parent, for your own, for your own flesh and blood. Another way that a person should love their fellow is that they want success for them like, they want to, like we want success for ourselves. So imagine you're playing a, a game of sports, right? So do you want to succeed? Of course you want to succeed. Do you want your child to succeed? Of course you want your child to succeed. So what's about your friend, right? If you cared enough about your friend, you'd want them to succeed just like you want yourself to succeed, right? You want them to have a good sleep at night like you have a good sleep at night without worries, without concern, without any challenges. You want them to have that same success. You want them to also have the same health. That's fine, Lily. Lily, that's perfectly fine, right? That's the beauty of Judaism. Right? Lily says she's not so keen on redeeming the rabbi before the... That's because today we don't have the concept of what a rabbi is. Right? Today we don't have that concept where the rabbi was the everything for a, a person, taking the person from, from the ground all the way up to the idea, the concept of bringing them into heaven. Bring, giving them the world to come, right? Actually, I think my father is on the on the line here, and my father knows that. Although I learn, I learned so much from my father, right? But when the Talmud, when the Mishnah gives us this idea of when you have only enough money for one, right? Of course, you have the the biblical obligation to have respect for your father and your mother. Okay, so that's an obligation. But here you have a whole nother level of your rabbi who brings you into the world to come. So which one goes first? Let's not get into that because it's not really our topic. It's just the concept, the idea that a person needs to recognize the relationship. And a person has to put it into action. So if we take this idea, I'll tell you why I got into this, into this topic to begin with, okay? A few years ago, it's probably 12 years ago or so, there was a, 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 a person that I knew pretty well. I didn't like what they were doing. I didn't like their approach to many, many different uh, aspects of Judaism. And it, it really bothered me. And it, it brought me almost to a point where I, I just had a disliking of every aspect of this person. And I didn't like it. I didn't like that I didn't like them. So I decided that I was going to give a class, a four-week series, Dedicated to loving every Jew, loving every single Jew, so that I can learn to love this Jew. And even though I didn't like them, I didn't want to like them, but that's what the Torah says. The Torah says that we're obligated to love every Jew. And if we're obligated to love every Jew, it must be that it's something that's attainable. So I went on this journey. I prepared this class. Again, this is 10 or 12 years ago, and reviewed it many, many times since so that I can have this ability to love every person like I love myself. 
So the Ramam gives an example of kamocha. What does it mean, kamocha? You say positive things about others like you'd say about yourself. Like if you were in a group of friends and they said something negative about you, would you stand up for yourself? Of course you would. You'd stand up for yourself and say, hey, <laughs> you know, uh, that's not exactly how the story went, okay? Let me just give you, like, oh, you're going to tell, right? What, what, why would you do that? Because you know what? You're going to stand up for yourself. Would we stand up for other people like we stand up for ourselves, right? That's what the Rambam says is kamocha. Just like you defend your own honor, you should defend your, your friend's honor. The next is you wish upon the other, the financial success you wish upon yourself. You want to have a good business deal. Wish it on your friend to have a good business deal. You want your friend to succeed in everything they do? You want yourself to succeed in everything you do? Wish it also upon your, your friend. Now, I want to share with you an amazing, amazing Talmud, okay? The Talmud says that whoever prays on behalf of their friend, and you need the same thing. I'll give you an example. Two people are struggling with a health issue. They have the same health issue, uh, whatever it may be, okay? And you know what you do? Instead of only praying for yourself, which is very, very obvious that I'm going to pray for myself to have health, but you go out of your way and you pray also for your friend who's struggling in the same area as you are, or even in a different area. You're looking for a shidduch. You're looking for a, for a spouse for yourself or for your child. And you know what? You pray for your friend who also has a child in the same situation or a friend who's in, a, in the same situation. What does the Talmud say is the reward for someone who goes out of their way to pray for someone else? Hu nana You are the one who benefits first. Now, I recently had such a story where a friend of mine and I, we were both struggling with a similar challenge. And I said, you know what? Here's an opportunity. The Talmud says that if you pray for your friend, you will benefit first. And I dedicated a lot of time praying for them as much as I would pray for myself. And I said, Hashem, please help them. Right Now, I know in the back of my mind, I also want to succeed. And even the, the Talmud says, you may say, okay, we have this promise that if you pray for someone else, you will benefit first. So that's a great trick. Now, everybody's going to pray for someone else just so that disingenuously, they're going to benefit first. You know what the Talmud says? Go right ahead. Go right ahead. If that's what will get you to pray for your fellow, it's worth it. That means it's what's the famous concept in the Talmud of if you do it for the wrong reason, at the end, you'll do it for the right reason. If you do it, if you start doing it for the wrong reason, you'll end up doing it for the right reason. Is that amazing? An amazing idea. That means if I don't pray for my friend because I really want him to succeed, it's really because I want to succeed. But you go out of your way to pray for your fellow, even though you'll benefit first, eventually you'll come to a point where you stop praying genuinely for your friend's success. And that's what the Torah wants to get us to. Torah wants to get us to a point where we genuinely care about someone else, even if it comes through a method that's not genuine and not sincere. Go ahead and pray. I will tell you, just to, to end that story, is that Hashem answered me. Okay, I prayed for my friend and I said, Hashem, I'm praying, I want them to succeed. Just like I want to succeed, I'm praying for them to succeed. 
and I want them to pass their test, and I want them to pass their challenge that they're facing. Please, Hashem, help them. And guess what? You will benefit first, and indeed I did. Okay? And I didn't stop praying for them. I continue to pray. Hopefully, I'll get to a point where I actually pray for them just like I want to pray for myself. That's the goal. So the idea is that when we... Okay, so now how do I get to that level? That's someone I love, someone I care about, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's an associate. So I really care about them. But what's about someone who I don't like? What's about someone who I don't care about? I don't like them. I don't want to like them. I don't believe like they believe. I don't act like they act. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Torah commands us, we should love every Jew like you love yourself. That's a very, very tall order. How do I get to a point where I can love every Jew like I love myself? So we need to understand like this. So firstly, we have to finish defining what it means to love every Jew like we love ourselves. So we have to understand that the most important thing to a person, to any human being, any human being, is their own honor. Okay, I'll share with you that uh, over this Shabbos, this magnificent Shabbos here with my family, my wife's family, I, I had a chance to speak over, over Shabbos at one of the meals, and I shared with everybody the revelations of my COVID uh, lockdown with my family. And I said, we made it our business that every single day, each one of our children, we have a, something called to hug it out. You have to hug it out. And it's an amazing thing. It's a tra- transformational experience. Okay, you should try it with your family, with your loved ones. Hug it out. Right? Not just a hug, give two slaps in the back. And No, 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 no. A real hug. That's it. And that's with every one of my children. Right? Without exception. And every single day, we have to hug it out. And sometimes multiple times a day. It breaks away all barriers. It gives a, a, an expression of affection, of love, of endearment, right? More than anything, that, that physical touch, that connection is really unbelievable. And it, it's an amazing thing that the children love it. The children absolutely love it. And the adults feel uncomfortable. And we did it here the whole Shabbos. Everyone's been talking about, oh, we didn't hug it out. And they, they like give you like a shoulder. Like it's like, no, 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 no. You have to really hug it out and feel, feel a, a connection with the person. What's the idea? The idea is that many times people don't know how to express love. They don't know how to express an emotion. And particularly when it comes to family, it's very, very important for us to have the ability to do that properly, right? To express our passion and our love for one another in an effective way. There's nothing that's more important to a child. There's nothing that's more important to a human being than honor. Everybody wants to feel special. And everybody, every human being in the world wants to feel special. Right? Even those who say they don't want to, want to. Okay? Everybody wants to feel special. The greatest feel of, lo- of, of love, of fulfillment, of, of endearment is when someone else acknowledges you. You know that the highest suicide rate, the highest suicide rate of any demographics is white-collar prisons. White-collar prisons. You know why? Suddenly, nobody respects them. Suddenly, nobody gives them honor. Suddenly, nobody asks them for their advice. Till now, 
they were successful and everyone thought everyone was oh you're so smart let me ask you your advice let me ask you because you have all this money because you have all of the now they're sitting in prison and nobody comes to visit them suddenly they're not so smart anymore so but suddenly nobody cares about them right it's they have no purpose in returning home they have no purpose in returning to life because nobody cares about them if everyone really cared about me they would come visit me if everyone really cared about me they would ask me for my advice even now but suddenly they don't it's a really big big thing of the three characters kavod is the most important to a person right it says right kina is jealousy tava means urges and desires and what's kavod kavod is is, is honor dignity that people respect you. If people don't give you respect, the person feels worthless. Now, there's a difference between seeking honor and needing a, an acknowledgement. It's two different things, but every human being needs that. We have to understand that, okay? Uh, one of the great later sages would say that after 120, we are asked, why did you not concern yourself about the kavod, the honor of uh, another person? And we'll say, what? What's the big deal? And then they'll say, your whole life you were seeking honor, protecting your honor, right? Always pursued your honor. And now you don't see the importance of someone else's honor, right? If you search on Google for man's most basic need, one, two, or three are, number one, we seek to be respected. Number two, we seek to be appreciated. And number three, we seek to be desired right every person wants to feel important right it's the most basic every child wants to be acknowledged and recognized and hugged and loved by someone right the chavetz chaim says to look for positive things to say about every other person you meet every person you meet find something positive to say that's a nice shirt that's nice shoes it's you have such a pretty smile whatever it is find something nice to say about another human being that's what the Chafetz Chaim says okay to the degree where King Solomon says in Proverbs in Mishle he says Evilim yalit chova, a silly person only finds flaws in other people right because a person who has no accomplishments of their own only gets a sense of growth by knocking other people down so if if i have no accomplishments what will make me feel good for my lack of accomplishing if i knock someone else down right a villain someone who's silly will not will find only only negative in other people so i want to tell you what is the solution to all of this okay we can either find ourselves big by working hard on ourselves and we push others down or like a seesaw or we can get up and elevate others with us okay uh, it's an interesting rabbeinu yona one of the great early commentators he says that that this trait of evilim with the silly ones always find flaws it being like a fly what does a fly always look for it looks for garbage don't be like a fly who's always looking for garbage be someone who's great who's always looking for greatness Right? Because when you look for greatness, it reflects you. When you look for the flaws of another person, it's reflecting you as well. So I'll tell you an amazing thing. Okay. Here's what we need to know. You know how you love every single human being? Every single human being on planet Earth? 
you recognize that every single person has virtues. Every single person has qualities. Every single person. There's no such thing as a person who doesn't have qualities. I'll give you an example. There are people who loved President Obama. There are people who hated President Obama. There are people who love President Trump, and there are people who hate President Trump. Okay? But here is the, the reality. The reality is, is that every single person has virtues, has qualities, and every single person has flaws. Now, here's an excellent example of how we can work on this. Okay? If you hated Obama, if you hate Trump, find a virtue that's undeniable because they have a virtue that's undeniable. Whether you like them or you don't is irrelevant. Find a virtue, find a quality that they possess and acknowledge it. Right? Because we're in, we're in a, a, a world that's all worked up by politics. We're in a world that's all worked up by all of this dispute of, you know, political pandering, you know, and some people like this television station and people like this television and this I'll never listen to and this I'll always listen to it, et cetera, et cetera. We all know what we like. But can we find virtue in the things that we don't like, notwithstanding our hatred for them? And the answer must be yes. You have to be able to look at a candidate that you don't like and yet find the virtue in them. I'll give you, I, I, I've said this example before. I think it's such an incredible perspective. There was an interview by, what's her name, from 60 Minutes. So the 60 Minute program, and she is interviewing the recently retired, this is in two, that March 2012. She was um, interviewing a recently retired head of Mossad. She was sitting on a rooftop in Tel Aviv, and she's interviewing him on 60 Minutes. She says to him, do you think the Iranians are rational people, right? You're talking about the, this is when we're at the peak of them threatening every day to the annihilation of Israel. We're going to drop a nuclear bomb in Israel. And every single day they're, 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 uh, they're hitting the same beat of hatred towards Israel. Hatred, hatred, hatred. So she thought that he was for sure going to say they're irrational, crazy human beings. All they care about is death. All they care about is killing Israel and killing the Jewish people. They're crazy. And you know what he responded? He said, of course they're rational. And her eyes almost popped out. She's like, what do you mean they're rational? He says like this. He says, if I can't un understand their rationale, I can never beat them. Here you're talking about your enemy. Here you're talking about someone who's calling every day for your annihilation. But if you're not able to get out of your own skin and think the way they think, You'll never be able to beat them. And I think that is an unbelievable perspective for us to have on our own relationships. If we can't see the way someone else thinks, right, we can never have a successful relationship. We can never have a happy marriage. If we can't think the way our wife thinks, right, if we can't think the way our children think, to understand, I'll give you an amazing example from my grandfather. Of blessed memory. My grandfather was once approached by one of his great disciples, one of his great students. And, uh, you know, in Jerusalem, it's not exactly the appropriate fashion for um, a yeshiva student 
to be playing sports. Okay, let's let's leave it at that. Okay, it's it's, it's frowned upon because you know immerse yourself in Torah study and you know the body is you know it, we try to serve our soul, not our body. That's that's the overall perspective. I don't want to get too much into it because I don't necessarily agree with it. Okay, but that's the reality. So this student of my grandfather came and said, you know, my son sees these kids playing out, they're playing soccer, and he really wants to play soccer with them. Should I or should I not let them play soccer? So my grandfather inquired a little bit more, and my grandfather said, of course, of course he should go play soccer with them. The student was, was puzzled. He says, okay, so how much time? Should I give him like a half hour to play soccer with them? And my grandfather says, a half hour? Who could play soccer for only a half hour? And the student was shocked. What do you mean? I'm going to let him play more? He says, a half hour? That's not even playing soccer. You can't even get into the game in a half hour. My grandfather was able to get into the mind and into the reality of a child. It was a 13-year-old to a 14-year-old. A half hour? A half hour is nothing. You can't play soccer for a half hour. You, right? To, to play a game of soccer, you need more time. The idea is not this whole example. The idea is, is that someone who is really great can get into the reality of another person. What are they experiencing? What are their challenges? Right? And someone who's great can see a perspective that's not theirs. My grandfather is in his 80s. What does he know about soccer? But he's thinking of a child, a teenager, right? For them, they need more. A half hour is not enough time. Understand? It's, you know how he was able to get into this? Into this frame of mind? Because his entire life he's been practicing thinking about another person's existence, another person's reality. We spoke about this a lot when we talked about the trait of kindness, the trait of chesed. When we're talking about chesed, kindness, we can't have chesed be what I think is the right thing to do. It needs to be what the other person needs, not what I need. I know what I need. What does the other person need? And that's the perspective we need to have. We need to think about the needs of another person. We need to think about the reality of another person. Uh, Rabbi Sol Salanta said, after seeing two children fighting, he says the, ch- the child must learn to be important by climbing and not by knocking others down, right? Sometimes we as adults can fight like children. We're fighting because we want to feel good about ourselves. We have to realize that the way in which we feel good about ourselves is never going to come from knocking someone else down. It can only come by elevating ourselves. It says, Uven Yisharim Ratzav, right? Satisfaction of a yashar, of a straight person, comes through finding the positive, right? That's also from King Solomon. You know what brings satisfaction to a great person? Finding the good, you know, the positive of other people. What were the Jewish people when they received the Torah? It says, Vayichan sham Yisrael negedahar. What is Vayichan? It's a singular term, not a plural. Singular. It says, Vayichan milashon chen. They found favor in one another. Right? When they found favor, they became like one. When the Jews find favor in one another, then they're then they're like one person, one nation, one soul, finding the strengths of each other. I remember very, very, very clearly, vividly. I remember September twelfth, two thousand and one. 
I, it was an unbelievable day of unity, an unbelievable day of love. I remember I drove to New York City. I could not believe that the Twin Towers were not there. I couldn't believe it. These unbelievably magnificent buildings were gone. I was living in South Jersey at the time in Yeshiva. And I said, I got to go up there. I have to see that those buildings, I can't believe that those buildings are not there. And you know what I found in New York City? I found the most loving, the most unified, the most kind New York ever. Everyone's like, no, no, please, please. You can go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You know, it's like, it's suddenly it's like, it was a different, we know New Yorkers are very aggressive. They're very passionate. They're, you know, suddenly it was a totally different New York right? They saw the virtue in one another. They saw the virtue in humanity suddenly. It was a different world. Our, our sages tell us a, a chacham was once, a wise man was once walking in the forest with his students and came across the carcass of a donkey. So the student said to the rabbi, this is the Chavos that brings this down, the duties of the heart, uh, which is uh, written by Rabbeinu Bachia. So he says the most incredible thing. He says, so the, this wise man was walking with his students, this wise Torah scholar, and the students passed by this carcass of a donkey. The students say, ugh, it's terrible. It smells so terrible. And what did the wise man say? But look at its teeth, its beautiful white teeth. Look at those beautiful white teeth. They saw the negative. He saw the positive. Even in a negative situation, you can always see positive. Right, the teeth may even be hiding, but he searched for it. You need to look for the good. Our job is to let other people know why they are important to us, not how they are flawed. Every person has virtue, every person has flaws too. But what we need to do is find the virtues in other people, find the goodness in other people. Our job is to constantly let people know of why they're important to us, why they're good, why they're amazing, what's special about them, and not what, what, what their flaws are, right? Every person wants to be respected. We want to be respected. We want other people to honor us and to, and, and to give us the, the due value that we're worth. We have to do the same for other people. It says, Right? It is a very important prerequisite for the Torah to love every human being. Every person you meet, every person we meet, find a way to share a positive word with them. Find a way to compliment them. Find a way to see something special in them. Right? Every person wants to feel respected by those around them. For for, for the interaction with our fellow uh, human beings, right? It makes sense that the only way we can have a, a positive mutual relationship is when we see the virtues in other people. We see the qualities in other people. Our sages tell us that God always finds favor in the Jewish people. I want to share with you an amazing thing. This week's Parsha. We have an unbelievable story. Here's Moses. Moses is told by God to speak to the rock. And we all know, right? Moshe, instead of speaking to the rock, he hits the rock. And what was Moses' punishment for not obeying Hashem's will? You know it. He's not allowed to enter into the land of Israel. Okay. The Rambam says a totally different idea. And it's so beautiful. 
Rambam says that was Rashi's explanation. That was Rashi's definition. Uh, the reason why Moses was not allowed into the land of Israel is because he spoke to the rock, that he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Rambam says a different story. Rambam says his sin was not that. His sin was something else. Moses called the Jewish people around the rock and he says, Shimu no hamorim, rebellious ones. Rebellious ones, come around the rock. Come see the miracle that God is going to perform now. Rambam says Moses' sin was not believing in the Jewish people. True, the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf. True, they sinned with the complaining. True, they sinned with the spies going to the land of Israel. The Jews sinned. But you don't believe in their repentance. You don't believe that they're capable of doing teshuva, of repenting properly. And therefore, you call them the rebellious ones. Moses was punished for that. And Moses didn't hit the, Moses realized, oh my goodness, I made, I made a big mistake. I called the Jewish people, the great Jewish people who repented and God accepted their repentance. I didn't. I'm like, ah, the rebellious ones. Come here, rebellious ones. Let me show you a miracle. Because Moses didn't believe in the power of their repentance, he now wasn't able to speak to the rock. The same mouth that just ridiculed the Jewish people is now going to talk to the rock. So instead, he hit the rock. Says the Rambam, the sin over here was that he didn't believe in the Jewish people. You didn't believe in them. You can't go into the land of Israel. The Jewish people are the people of, of repentance. The Jewish people are the people of greatness. And you didn't have the ability to see that. That is a, a big, big no-no not believing in the Jewish people. Unbelievable, because my whole life, I've always understood Moses hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. But why did he hit the rock? Because he felt like he did something wrong here in speaking down to the Jewish people. And now that same mouth couldn't, couldn't talk to the rock. So therefore, he hit, the, he hit the, the, the rock instead of speaking to it. And he still deserved the punishment of not entering, entering into the land of Israel. Our sages say that the nature of a person is that if you love someone, you will love their children too. The love gets carried over to men. You love their you love their whole life, right? What happens, right? If you if a person really loves someone else, so they find virtue in everything they do. Wow, they're great, right? But if you don't love Hashem's children appropriately, then we are lacking in our love of Hashem as well. If we can't love Hashem's children, Hashem's creation, we're lacking in our love to God. It's a very, very intense and incredible responsibility. We have to recognize the importance of our love for Hashem. And if we love Hashem, we'll love His creations. If we don't appropriately love Hashem's children, perhaps we don't love Him enough. You know, it's an amazing thing the Chavetz Chaim brings down in the laws of, of Lashon Hara. He says that a person should be very careful before accepting negative speech, Lashon Hara, about another person. Why? He says, what's if someone came over to you and said, you know that person? He's a thief. He's a thief. I saw him go into the store and steal, right? He held them up and says, give me your money. Chavetz Chaim says, don't believe it. Why shouldn't I believe it? He saw it with his own eyes. He says, because imagine that that person was your father. If that person was your father, you know what you would do? You would find every reason in the world to say, you know what? My father's not a cheater. My father would never do such a thing. 
I bet you they owed, they owed him money and he was just trying to collect a debt. He was just trying to, you'd find some excuse, you'd find some reason of why it isn't really a holdup, but rather it's a justification, you justify this, this action. He says, if you truly believe that every person was like your loved one, like your father, you would never believe Lashon HaRa about another person. It's the same idea over here. If we believe and we loved every person, right? That means that we have the proper love for Hashem. If, if we don't love every person, then we, don't, we perhaps don't have the proper love for, every, for, for, for Hashem. So why does it say that is that loving your fellow like yourself is a very fundamental prerequisite for the Torah? So our sages say it's the bottom line, just like in accounting, the bottom line number, if the bottom line number is off, the whole calculation is wrong. Imagine, imagine if a person, right, is doing a calculation, two plus two plus two plus two plus two equals 10, right? So, right, five times you say two plus two plus two plus two plus two equals 10. But what's if it shows up as 11, then you know something is wrong. Something's wrong in the whole calculation. Our sages tell us that if the bottom line of loving every Jew like yourself, right, isn't the sum total, then there's something in the whole calculation that's off, right? We have to remember this. 